You're listening to Keeping It Real with Janine, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life. I'm Janine, and it's my hope that through these podcast conversations, you will be inspired in some way to be more of your best self. Every two weeks, I have an inspiring conversation with an ordinary person leading an extraordinary life. And my conversation today is with Doria D.C. Cordova. She is definitely an inspiration. Doria is the owner of Accelerated Business Schools, a global organization with over 118,000 graduates. Her Money and You program has inspired some of today's best-known business education and wealth experts and has touched the lives of millions. She's a humanitarian, philanthropist, and author. Doria is the global business developer for the world's leading solar architect, Wan Ming, who created the only solar valley and city in the world, and I'm very much looking forward to hearing more about this. Her purpose? To uplift humanity's consciousness through socially responsible businesses. Her mission? To transform educational systems around the world and eradicate poverty and hunger. Those are pretty lofty goals. Hi, Doria. Hello. Thank you so much for having me and Happy New Year. Oh, thank you. Same to you. It's awesome to reconnect with you. Now, you have a long list of accomplishments, an amazing number for one person, I think. Um, but I would like to start with your story, your journey, a little bit about you know how you grew up, how you became interested in business and being a mentor to so many. Well, a very, very short story here. I grew up in Chile, in Santiago, and I grew up with, in a village type of, um, of environment, which I think has been the foundation for me wanting the world to work for 100% of humanity because it was so loving, so connected. And then I was brought to the United States when I was 12 years old and went into an environment that was very different than Santiago, Chile. And, uh, but I grew up being a typical California kid, and mm -hmm. um, I wanted to grow up and be, I had had a vision that I was going to be in the United Nations someday, so I thought I was going to be an interpreter. And I think this is important for people to realize that sometimes we have visions, but we can only match it to our reality. Mm -hmm. So the only thing I could think about at the time was be that I would be an interpreter, I wouldn't think of myself as having been one of the members or a leader of it, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um, pretty much decided to go to college and learn languages and head to the UN. And um, when I was 18 years old, I was going to, in those days, in the late 60s, you married at 18 and, you know, <laughs> and uh, sadly, my uh, sweetie was killed a month before we were to be married. Oh my! And uh, I just had the shock of my life. And the reason I share this is because it's the foundation of what I grew up to be. Mm -hmm. And so I, um, I miscarried his baby, which I didn't know that I was pregnant four months later on his birthday. Aww. And instead of feeling my feelings, which you didn't do, you didn't have books on loss or you didn't have the resources that we have today. I just became a major workaholic mm -hmm. and very angry with God. And um, I had three jobs. I was, a, I was, I mean, just a major girl that was going to conquer the world and had no feelings, very little feelings. And uh, for the next um, six years, five years, I worked very, very hard. But in between there, we had the Vietnam War. We had the demonstrations. We had drugs coming to the world. So you know, I was at the effect of people getting killed in Vietnam, people committing suicide, dying of overdoses. So that just kind of added more to my sense of loss and just really shut down. And because I had seen myself as being in the UN, I went to learn languages, became an interpreter, and began to work in the court systems of Los Angeles. And uh, one thing led to another, and I decided to study to be a court reporter because it was mm. such an amazing career. It paid well. You hang out with attorneys and judges and police that would protect me from all the fears that I had now accumulated. <laughs> Sadly, you know, I well, by then we had had 14 friends that had died, my mm. boyfriend being the f first. <clears throat> and so at 24, 
I succeeded in being a very successful court reporter in the legal system in Los Angeles and was the most unhappy little girl you ever met. Mm. So I decided since I was going to be depressed, I might as well move to a gorgeous place and move to Hawaii. (laughs) And um, I became a court reporter. The first court reporter that Maui had, permanent one, was me Hmm. in 1975. And most people don't realize this, but beauty heals, beauty mm-hmm. heals. And it's, Hawaii is the land of Ho'oponopono's, which, of course, I had no idea about. Mm-hmm. And I had an enlightenment experience when I was 26 years old. And as I was a sailing bum, by then I was both a court reporter and sailor. And I was told by this beautiful inner voice that I had not been put on planet Earth to be a party girl, but to have a job. I had no idea what that meant, (laughs) except I moved from Maui back to Honolulu, where I had been hired and became an assistant, um, excuse me, a a court reporter on my own. Just I was working through an agency and through the, the grace of God, I was put in front of the top people from the EST organization, which a lot of people may not know who that is, but they were the predecessors of Landmark Education, who were being sued by the state of Hawaii for practicing psychology without a license. Mm. And within 10 minutes, I was enrolled by them to go to my first EST training. (laughs) So so within a month, I had had my enlightenment experience. I was in the EST training. And here we began my journey of personal development, of looking within, of looking what my job was. And within a year after that, I found the first business school for entrepreneurs of its kind, which teachings were based on magnificent work and the teachings of Buckminster Fuller. Mm -hmm. And that work was actually created for me. I honestly believe it was created for me because it was created by Marshall Thurber Mm -hmm. and Bobby was the power behind making sure that everything happened. I ended up becoming a volunteer, moved back to San Francisco, became a volunteer, and then became a partner. And eventually, 1985, July 8, 1985, I inherited all the work. Without knowing what I was doing, we became one of the pioneers of the transformational, you know, educational entrepreneurial industry. My mentors really created the financial literacy industry as we know it today, but I had no idea. I was part of the team, and then later I took on leadership, and I've been doing that for over 40 years now, and so it was really coming out of a very painful experience, but also what really helped were those eight years of being in the legal field where I I was surrounded by some of the best attorneys, both good and bad, in the sense of some were like the scum of the earth, and many were, most of them, were very ethical, beautiful human beings that had a lot of tools that I learned in my DNA. Mm -hmm. And then what I had learned with the business school for entrepreneurs, the first of its kind, it was really a magical formula for me to be able to succeed at the level that I have. And surrounding all of that is consciousness. It's the working on myself and later doing the whole Ponopono work in 1984 with Morna Sumeona, which, of course, I've been practicing ever since, and doing a lot of work on myself and creating peace on earth. And the rest people can read at dccordova.com or in your website. So it has been the most beautiful journey of self-discovery that has allowed me to contribute to the world. Mm-hmm. It makes me tingle because I I can just imagine you as in your young life, all of, I mean, you said you were, what, 26 and you had already lost 14 people in your life? My goodness. That's... Yeah, actually, that was 22, 23. 22. Oh, yes. wow. I mean, that's incredible. And your life could have gone in, in a, a much different way, right? A much different that's direction. Right. Um, yes. So... What is it that you do? You know, I, I know that your focus is, is socially responsible businesses and, and working with educational systems. And what are some concrete ways that you're, you're doing this? How do, you, how do you do this? Well, basically, 
The business success model is a tool that Marshall Thurber uh, described his work back in 1979, 1980. The business success model is like a, a formula on how to make any business work. And if you look around, it's actually how most successful businesses have been created. And pretty much, um, I would like to give as a gift to you a, a graphic that you can include in your downloads for your listeners, awesome. if you have that. Okay, yep, yep, and on the website. Mm -hmm. Yes, and it's called the Accelerated Business Success Model. And very quickly, just imagine like a pyramid at the bottom, there is one layer called uh, Masters. And it's pretty much we learn from masters the, the best keys, the best tools mm -hmm. that we can use for whatever endeavor we want to create. And then we create a niche or a niche, as they say, down under. <laughs> um, we create a niche of uh, we want to create niches so that our marketing people have something to, you know, be able to use to get the word out. Otherwise, how are you going to get clients and customers? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so um, you create a niche. And then you leverage that niche. And it was really my mentors that put the word leverage on the map in the in the business world. Okay. The word leverage at the time in the 70s was used mostly in Wall Street, you know, in the financial circles. That's what, you know, leverage buyouts and the word leverage was used there. I can honestly tell you that it was Marshall Thurber uh, with, of course, the partnership with Bobby DePorter and others and later myself that put that word on the map as we use it today. How do mm -hmm. you leverage? And so you need to leverage through systems. So that's the next step, which is through systems that create aligned teams. And teams is key. You can't do this on your own. Even if you inherit $100 million tomorrow, that person that inherits all that money at the lottery or inherits money from relatives is going to need a team of people. You can't do this alone. There's no such thing as a solo entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. That's a very Americanized point of view, which is so unreal that it's a hard word for me to even say because there's no such thing. And so you have now you, you start with uh, masters, you create a niche, you leverage that niche through systems and those particular um, systems will create an aligned team and then that aligned team will then <clears throat> create a thing called synergy which is a word that was coined by Buckminster Fuller mm -hmm. and Buckminster Fuller it was one of our key mentors and I'll speak about Bucky in a few minutes because he is the inspiration for all of this for us and then so you create synergy and ultimately you create results so you create results, and, and what happened is that in life, um, and a wonderful woman by the name of Marsha Martin that I met when I was 27 years old through, through EST mm -hmm. and the Hunger Project, she had this saying that said, in life, you either have reasons for not creating what you wanted to create, or you have the results that speak for themselves. <laughs> so... This success model is just a formula that you use in order for you to get your projects and your businesses done. But on top of that, the core of it, the, the engine of it is to have a purpose. My purpose is to uplift humanity's consciousness through socially responsible businesses, which the word socially responsible didn't come in until 10 years ago, even though We've been doing that for 40 years. We just didn't use that word up until it was acceptable. Mm -hmm. We had to wait for the world to catch up. <laughs> and, then, um, and then we have missions. One of our missions is to transform educational systems around the world and eradicate poverty and hunger. Well, one of my missions was to, which I didn't know what it was, was to create a whole new industry of seminars which truly we opened up the markets, not only in the US, but then later in Australia, New Zealand, Hong Kong, Singapore, Malaysia, Taiwan, China. And, you know, it's pretty much now history to see all the seminars out there. Mm -hmm. We even created the World Workshop, which is another story. <laughs> um, and then we have policies. How do you do that? The policies that are going to be in place, rules of the game, how you're going to participate. So, in our programs, in the Money and You program and our Global Accelerated Business School, 
which is an eight-day long program, Money and Use, three and a half days at the Global Business School for Entrepreneurs is eight days. Okay. We teach people how to do that. And it is literally their formulas that when you have a really a product, and here's where I have to speak about but Mr. Fuller. But Mr. Fuller gave us this question. How do we make the world work for 100% of humanity through spontaneous cooperation in the shortest possible time without any ecological offense or the disadvantage of anyone? Wow. When, yeah, wow <laughs> is right. I mean, that's a, that's, a big, that's a big question. So when you create a product or service answering that question, what happens is that the, your chances of success are so much higher because you will now have a much grander purpose that people can get behind you. People will get inspired as opposed to, you know, let's go back to coal because it created, you know, so many jobs. And, and that is, there's nothing wrong with coal. I actually used to go on vacation every year as a child to a mining town called Lota in South of Chile. Mm -hmm. And so I am very familiar with that industry and with the atrocities of that industry, all the deaths and the illnesses and everything. I mean, you know, half the town was a widow. That what happens is that you have this new sense of beingness that is so important that is now coming online. I mean, it's the year 2019, and to hear people talk about beingness, to talk about contribution, to have some of the biggest billionaires committed to the betterment of humanity, it's like it's a dream come true for somebody like me and mm-hmm. for many people 40 years later. So once you get ahead of the curve in your industry, then marketing becomes easier. Um, your ability to create alliances and strategic alliances and to to have the ultimate, which is access to, which is my new definition of wealth, having access to experts, to wealth, to money, to cash, to, to people that can support you, then that particular aspect of your life where you need to finance and create an economic engine is handled. So mm-hmm. I kind of just gave you a whole overview of what we teach and how this truly, truly creates results. Hmm. Let's talk a little bit more about this idea of access. Um, okay. How are you seeing that? So you're saying access to experts, to uh, finances, to marketing. Is that something that you have to develop after a period of time? Or is that something that you you're pulling together resources in the beginning of your idea? I mean, let's say somebody has an idea for something that they think, I I know so many people who are entrepreneurs who are struggling. Yes. So, So let's say somebody has an idea for a product or a service that they feel is really something that can be of benefit to a certain aspect of humanity. What would you say to them if you were, say, you're coaching them? What are some of their first steps? So what I would say to them is that you have to start immediately on creating access to, because if you, let me, let me just speak a little bit here about poverty. And people are poor. They're resource poor, like my my friend, Lynn Twist, my friend and teacher, Lynn Twist, who wrote the beautiful book, The Soul of Money. I love her. She's a beautiful, beautiful person. Absolutely. If you want to interview her, I will introduce you to her. I would like to, yes. She is incredible. And so she talks about there's no such thing as a poor person. They're only resource poor. Mm -hmm. So when Mm -hmm. you have very little money and very little contacts and no networks to tap into, then you are resource poor. And then it's harder for you to get credit. It's hard to do anything. So then you go into a cycle of poverty and then your children may, and it just kind of, it it becomes generational poverty instead of generational wealth, which many people have. Not too many, but plenty. So now you have to take a look at creating networks of people. Like 
one of the greatest thing in our program, Money New, for instance, that we've been doing for nearly 40 years, when people come in, they now become so much wealthier because of the access that they now have with people they met in the room, or they can go to any Money New program anywhere in the world. Um, you know, they can go to the, one of the richest countries on the planet, Singapore, and walk in and show their certificate that they have done Money and You and go into a Money and You program, sit in the back, put their programs or their, their products or their brochures on, on this network table and begin to open up their markets. I mean, there are people that would kill for that kind of access. Mm -hmm. So one of the greatest wealth that we provide for our participants is access to amazing people and people that get to know you that maybe right away they won't invest in you, but they might mentor you and they might get to know you. And the same way how I inherited my work was by being around and being there. And we had been together for six years or five years, actually, when they decided to leave. And they went on. Uh, Bobby DePorter had already started in 1981. She had already launched her Supercamp, supercamp.com, mm -hmm. an amazing teen education platform. And then Marshall Thurber was tired of the work. He didn't want to be doing programs called Money and You or Business Schools. He, was, he had now become very interested in Edwards Deming. And he was doing consulting, you know, he was consulting doing consultations with huge companies and applying the Edwards Deming technology, mm -hmm. you know, so I was there I, and I had earned the right. I had set up the system. I had already become a partner. Of course, he was going to give me the work or I had already inherited the work pretty much. I had already set it up. So I was already positioned to be able to legally take over the work, which I did. Mm -hmm. And so, I'm just one of the many examples. So it's almost called sweat equity, so to speak. Mm, so mm -hmm. you have to surround yourself with people that have access to. And there's so much free education now. I mean, people, even if they go to and Google my name, there's hundreds of podcasts that I have done where I'm teaching all kinds of things. It's all free. And that's just me. There is so many free marketing and sales and, and you know, organizational and, and money. And, and yes, some of them are going to take you down this road. The one that you just have to be the most careful with are the ones that are about investing because there are some real masters out there that will sell you in a way that you, you know, you will hawk your house to go and invest with them. I do not recommend that you do that. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you don't have to buy anything. You just study, 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 or join. Join a multi-level marketing company. I, I was talking to somebody that owns one that is worth, you know, they have more money than God, as they say in Asia. <laughs> and I said, you know, I have to confess something to you. And they said, yeah. And I said, well, I'm always sending people to learn from you because you have some of the best sales systems I've ever seen. And they said, well, thank you so much. And I said, well, some of them have become really big distributors of yours, but a lot of them haven't, but they have learned a lot from you. And they go, well, thank you. So that was a confession of mine that I'm just sending people to learn from them because that's what I do. I just say, find a very reputable MLM company and for free, or maybe for $300 or $500 of buying products from them, they will teach you some of the best organizational systems, the best marketing, sales, and people skills, that's all free. And, and so when I grew up, we didn't have that. And, you know, this is where I sound, you know, my age. <laughs> it's like my godchildren would say, now you are in your 60s, you know, anti-DC. <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, it's like, it's, it, it really is about so getting so passionate about what you do and learning whatever it takes and having a much grander purpose because there's no way that you are going to have the energy, the time, the money, or the desire to stay on something that you're not passionate about. So I'm talking about really choosing something that is juicy for you mm -hmm. and juicy for the world that would really make this world better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And something that you're good at. I mean, you know, we're not, yes. we're not all good at everything, right? We all have our strengths. So, you know, what is it? What is it you're good at? What is it you feel 
some passion about, you really enjoy. I mean, too many people in my mind are doing things that they don't enjoy and they're spending a huge amount of their time doing things that they don't enjoy, which I think is pretty sad. Well, it's um, it's uh, it's an obligation. They have gone into, you know, uh, this is the thing that happened for me. Uh, when I was very young, I had some very hard choices to make. When I was, after I was 21, <clears throat> actually, when I came out of high school and uh, my boyfriend was killed in March and I graduated in June. For instance, I went to work for six months and I was such a, I was so, productive already. I remember Mr. Fielding. He was vice president of the insurance adjusting division of Union Bank in downtown LA. I never forgot Mr. Fielding. (laughs) He called me into his office and he said, you have to go back to school because you are just way too productive. You're driving us all crazy. (laughs) Make everybody go back. He says, you have to go back to school because you're going to grow up to be something magnificent. I really should find him, Mr. Fielding. He helped me so much. Wow. And he's the one that inspired me to go back to college. Well, I had a choice of going to LACC, which was in the heart of LA, in a very bad area. All the, the kids there were my friends that, you know, were starting to die. And, and it was a pretty bad area. Or drive every day to the San Fernando Valley the Valley College, it was called, mm-hmm. where it was much more higher in income. Mm-hmm. It was a fantastic, huge school in the Valley, but it was a sacrifice. And I still lived in LA and drove to the Valley every single day and went to a school where I could get away. That was one of the biggest choices that I ever made that took me out of a pretty bad environment. And then when I decided on what I was going to do, because at one point I became an official interpreter and I was very good at languages. So I could have gone to the UN, uh, possibly, you know, I was, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure I would have been good enough to, at some point to qualify to, because the UN has the best interpreters in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what happened for me was that I chose being a court reporter and I became very good at that because I chose it. And so It is those choices that you make. And I think that young people are pushed and you maybe have been pushed. And I'm speaking to your listener now Mm -hmm. to make some decisions that were so contrary to what your heart wanted, that no matter what, you have to have the courage to possibly start all over again. And so basically I went and I became a court reporter and I I mean, it cost me a bomb. I mean, three years working around the clock, becoming a court reporter, then became a top one and worked in the criminal court system. But when I got there, I discovered that it was so not what I wanted. And I was in an environment that was the total opposite of what I thought that the legal system was going to be. I was actually surrounded by corrupt people, corrupt judges, attorneys, and cops. It it was all cleaned up. By 1979, it was all cleaned up. But when I landed there in 1974, it was not. So the choice that I had to make when I moved to Hawaii was a choice of having, um, once I had my enlightenment experience, and I was really established already in Hawaii, I had to make the choice of letting go of my career as a court reporter, which I had worked so hard and letting go of, you know, by then I was on my seventh year. I ended up with eight years in the field. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up after my eighth year, and then I was able to just really go into what I was really meant to do and became so successful at. So you have to let go of being comfortable. And I always say this to young people and to older people, too, that it's going to take courage. It's going to take a whole other way of being for you to become that, that which you want to become or to be a millionaire. I, you know, I work a lot in Asia where a lot of people, they're just coming online, you know. Mm -hmm. So for them, being a millionaire is the thing, especially in places like Singapore. So like I say to them, you want to be a millionaire and you think it's going to solve all your problems, you just need to know that (laughs) money is going to solve your money problems that you may have for a little while, but then you're going to have what we call rich people problems, Mm -hmm. which 
a lot of my rich friends, they wish they didn't have. I'm sure. I know. I, I know so many people who think that having a, a million dollars or, or being wealthy in whatever way is going to solve all their problems. And I'm like, uh, I hate to tell you, it's not going to. It does make life easier to have lots of money, but you, you still are you. You still have all of your issues, you know, that you need to work on. And um, you're, you still have your personality and character. And having a lot of money is not going to solve any of those problems. And from there, when we have into this conversation of what is it that you really want to do? So now we're talking to privileged people now. What a lot of people don't realize how privileged they are, mm -hmm. that they actually get to make that choice. Because I work in different environments and I work in emerging nations. Like we have a network in Cambodia. I'm heading to Vietnam. You know, mm -hmm. I, I have worked and support orphanages in Cancun and Cabo San Lucas. Mm -hmm. And other places, you know, people don't realize how privileged Americans are. So I had an opportunity one time to talk to a group of Europeans that when I mentioned to them that I, you know, one of my missions was to eradicate poverty and hunger. And they said, is that American poverty or is that real poverty? <laughs> and this was about 10 years ago. And I said, um, well, that's an interesting question. Nobody's ever asked me before. And they said, well, you know, Americans think they're poor if they don't have more than two cars or a television in every room. The type of poverty that we know about and our parents knew about is very different. Mm -hmm. And it had never occurred to me that, you know, not at that level. And so, you know, this is a thing that you have to be very careful. And I highly recommend that one of the keys to success is to really take stock and, um, you know, I'm going to send you some links of some of the work that I do. Oh, and there's going to be a link there to a book called Access to Cash. Okay. And in there is teaching people the basics of business. But one of the things is also to have gratitude for and to, to take stock of what you have around you. What do you actually have access to? Because sometimes people have access to much more, but like their parents want to help them, but they're mad at their parents for whatever. And their parents could finance their business, but they're, they, whatever reason, they are totally disconnected from their parents and don't want to do it. Well, that's pretty crazy right then and there, because mm -hmm. it could be that they come from a family that they can afford that. Or you have the opposite, which is that people have become very successful, very wealthy, and are not willing to support others and support their parents or support family members that could definitely use the help. Mm -hmm. So when you become, through the use of prayers and, and, and of just postulates and of, of affirmations and get very centered within yourself, and, and you become the word you used a little bit earlier when we were having an offline conversation, you become very neutral. Mm -hmm. um, then you can make choices that are much more sober than when you are at the effect of feelings and resentments and upsets. Mm -hmm. So that's very important in being a successful business person. Mm -hmm. So just to follow that thread through for a moment, what uh, kinds of things have helped you in that regard? You mentioned meditation. What kinds of practices have you found to be particularly helpful? Yeah. In the last 10 years, I am definitely a transcendental meditation practitioner mm -hmm. for the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. So that has really helped me um, in, in the latest. Originally, back in the, in the 70s, in book, Access to Cash, I have this chapter seven, which is called Magical Exercises. And I call them magical exercises. My teacher and friend, Sandra Ray, did not call them that. They were just clearing your blockages that you may have to creating wealth. Mm -hmm. And so um, just remember there's three stages to money. You're okay. either in the process of making money or keeping the money that you managed to make or to grow the money that you managed to keep. There's three different steps. Okay. So a lot of people get stuck. They make money, but they can't keep it or they, or they keep the money, but they don't know how to grow it. Mm -hmm. But, well, I mean, all the tools are out there. So what's really is blocking people is their own beliefs or decisions that they made very young. So I did clearing very young on 
deservability. And that is a word that I would like for everyone to write down right now. They can even put you on pause Mm -hmm. for a minute Mm -hmm. by saying, writing the word deservability and and ponder on that and think about that and, and meditate on that. Because how many, what is the ceiling that you have? What is it that you feel that you deserve? And what it, what is financial independence to you? So you need to know yourself really, really well. And so Sandra Ray was one of my first spiritual teachers that began mm-hmm. to teach me to get to know my weaknesses and my strengths. And then, of course, I did all this work with Landmark. And then when I began to sit in the back of our um, accelerated business schools for entrepreneurs, I began to sit in the back of rooms and listen to many masters and experts in business. And I began to learn that there was a combination between those that use very sound business tools and those that were doing the clearing work. So that then I began to, I did several very profound programs in A Course in Miracles, The Course in Miracles. Mm-hmm. And we have studied with The Course in Miracles again. Mm-hmm. And A Course in Miracles, um, I did it twice, the whole thing. Right now we're doing it third for the whole year-long program. And so The Course in Miracles was also began to let go of some of the illusions that I had. And there was a constant state of, of going for emotional mastery mm-hmm. so that when so then you can be sober when you make money decisions, when you make uh, one of the biggest tools I want to give everyone is never, ever, ever make any major decisions when you are emotional. That means changing careers, changing jobs, marrying someone, divorcing someone, having children or making major decisions on how to treat your children disinheriting them or giving them, you know, all your money. When people are emotionally sober, their decisions usually will bring the best results than when people make emotional decisions. And and when you meet someone that says, well, I'm very logical, I only make logical decisions, they really need to get into the career of learning about emotional intelligence mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it has scientifically proven that there's no such thing as a logical decision every decision is emotional every decision is is a is something that goes into the brain and the brain has already already all of the programming in place to make it dependent on what decision emotional decision you made so the more logical that someone looks the more locked in that they are to some emotion that they have but to them, it seems logical. But to the experts, there's no such thing. So oh, once you begin okay. to really learn about yourself, that is, uh, and for me, of course, I quit drinking when I was 38 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I quit uh, doing caffeine when I was 36. I quit eating meat when I found out about all the, you know, the poisons that they give and, you know, what the little cows and animals do when they get killed. Mm. Mm-hmm. and what they excrete at the last moment, there was no way I wanted that in my body. So, you know, I have made major decisions. I wanted to have a lot of energy in my 60s, which, believe me, I can outlast just about any 20-year-old in, in you know, in energy. Oh, you know. Good for you. Yeah, and, and that comes from no alcohol in my liver that mm-hmm. has tremendous energy. That's where the energy comes from, from your liver. Mm -hmm. So those are the practices, some of them, uh, vitamins and healthy living and lots of love. I have Mm -hmm. a beautiful, loving partner who we live on Maui and in San Diego and travel the world together. That is always a beautiful thing. So Mm -hmm. those are the basics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I, let's see, I was looking back at my notes. Um, I, this whole idea of deservability, I, I think that warrants a little more discussion because I know, you know, some people, they want, they want to be wealthy consciously, but unconsciously, they've, maybe they've grown up in, in poverty or, you know, just not very well off, and they have negative feelings about people who are wealthy. 
you know, that, yes. and I, I've often thought if, so if you don't think well of someone because they have money, if you resent them, how do you expect to have money? <laughs> well, that's one aspect of it. The other one are unconscious decisions that we made that possibly were running your parents. And just remember that most of us, um, you know, people tend to forget that 1929, they say, well, God, that was 90 years ago. Well, if you have a 90-year-old grandmother, great-grandmother, um, they were there. They grew up with that. Their mm -hmm. parents were completely what we call depression babies, especially in the yeah. United States. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they had you when they were 20 years old, 25 years old. Uh, that means that you were born in 1950 right? Mm -hmm. The boomer generation, mm -hmm. they are completely being trained by people that were depression babies. Mm -hmm. And so that is very generational. And so you have to really study your whole family line. I did that as part of my, of my studies with Sandra Ray. Mm -hmm. And so I began to learn uh, money patterns. I was very happy to see on my mother's side, my mother was raised in the, in the south of Chile, Mm -hmm. with a grandfather, with her father, who was a farmer. They had everything. Mm -hmm. They had animals. They could go hunting. They grew their own food. They had water. So my mother has been one of the most abundant, you know, as people I ever met. <laughs> well, with that kind of, and my auntie too. My aunt, I mean, they were amazing human beings. And they grew up in abundance. They, money was not even a question. They didn't talk about money. They talked about how to raise their own food. Well, that's very different to somebody that grew up in a place that money was the key to survival. Mm -hmm. When we begin to release those old patterns that money is key to your survival, then you begin to make new choices. So chapter seven of access to cash clears quite a bit of that. And uh, we can have another conversation on money alone. Mm -hmm. But this ability is one number do you have? in your consciousness of what financial independence means to you. So do you want to have money just for money's sake, or do you want to be like myself? I have chosen lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So my lifestyle is, you know, I, I have mega millionaire friends that don't have my lifestyle because they don't have the freedom to be able to do it. <laughs> they have come, they have businesses that they're stuck in and they haven't been able to get people to, to duplicate them, and that's a succession problem that many rich people have. Whereas I always have chosen lifestyle. So I, one of my number one values is freedom. Yeah. So you have to really understand yourself. If freedom is a number one value, number top three val uh, value in your life, then you want to set up systems in your life that are going to give you freedom, not enslave you. So these are some of the deepest distinctions that I'm sharing with you mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. how to be rich and happy. That is another avenue that we connect because freedom has always been one of my top values. And when I had my aromatherapy company, um, I was kind of ahead of my time because I started it in, I think it was 83 when nobody really even heard of aromatherapy. But if I, I could have had it you know, really made it grow, but it was more about the freedom. It was more about the independence. It was more about creating products that really worked and that were uh, of value. And it was more about, oh, it's three o'clock and it's a nice sunny day and we've got everything done. Let's all go to the beach. <laughs> it was more about everybody bringing their dogs to work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, I always felt I was in uh, somewhat of an expert at keeping my overhead low. So I didn't have to work my butt off in order to just maintain uh, my fixed expenses. That is key. That is key. It, it, I think the people that get more um, it, it really enslaved are people that live way beyond their means. Mm -hmm. I always say to people, live way below your means, you know, and choose that which really works for you. I have friends that live in mansions and only use one or two rooms and the rest of the time, you know, seriously, serious and not even the best room. 
you don't have the best room with the view. And I mean, I said, oh, my God, why do you have this back room when your front room is the most exquisite view that I have ever seen? Uh-huh. And they go, oh, no, it's much more convenient. It's closer to the kitchen to be in the back. I go, oh, my God, you live in a $20 million mansion and you live actually in three little rooms? Why don't you just go get a little condo down the road that has a view? It's like, <laughs> so So it's like, it's a very fascinating thing that most people that have been around, a lot of wealthy people don't even realize. Mm-hmm. And there is an illusion about what is the world really about. It's like, I just, I just... I, I I just want to encourage everyone to really follow your heart and just really get to know yourself, no matter how old you are, whether you are a teenager in your 20s or you are in your 80s right now and you haven't had the level of happiness that you want. It's only because you haven't tapped into what it is that you really love. And that's what you see when people go through a big transformation, sometimes in the 40s and 50s. You know, they call it the midlife crisis, both for men and women, mm-hmm. is that finally they finally got to a place like, oh, my God, before I know it, I got 20, 30 years to go. And I would have been this and happy my whole life. And you just in the old days, we used to call it dropout. Mm-hmm. Now, people just changing their lives, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know how we got into that rabbit hole, but I tell you what, be very clear on what financial independence means to you. No, I, I think it's important. Yes. How much? How much is it? Is it is it $10,000 a month? $20,000 a month? $30,000 a month? 100000 I don't know. But what you want to do is you want to choose that figure that works for you and then planning, including what is going to be your retirement, what's going to afford those things that you really want. And then, I mean, there are so many experts that can help you in that. And then go for that in the process of also creating a world that works for 100% of humanity. And your chances of being rich and happy are not so much higher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very, very good advice, Doria. Thank you. Um, I wanted to back up for just a moment because you mentioned your enlightenment experience. Can you talk a little bit about what that was? or? Oh, yeah. It's just a very simple. Um, I pretty much, I was sailing uh, the islands. I had a beautiful boyfriend named Bob. <laughs> and Bob had a yacht, a uh, 34-foot, gorgeous, gorgeous yacht. And we went on an island, all around the islands, um, on a month-long trip. And um, we went all the way from Maui to Oahu, and Oahu we went to Kauai, <clears throat> and we were in the Hanalei Bay. I don't know if you've ever been there, yes, but it yes. is—it's one of the most gorgeous places. And Hanalei Bay, at the you know the backdrop of Hanalei Bay, is is called the wettest spot on Earth, and it's this beautiful mountains. I know the names. I, if people go to one of my Facebook, um, oh yes. If they go to my Facebook right now, there's a picture of the mountain. If they go to DC Cordova. Okay. And uh, anyway, so um, there is a picture of the mountains. And there was a, a, we were in the yacht and my roommate, Susie, who was this gorgeous young girl, you know, we were both 25, 26, mm-hmm. had flown in from Maui to spend a few days with us. And it was high noon and I was lying on top of the yacht as if though I wasn't, you know, tanned enough, put oil all over me. We didn't have in those days, you didn't have, you know, skin protection the way you do now. (laughs) And I was as brown as I could be, but I wanted to be browner. And that's what you did in the Mm seventies. And um, I, I looked up at the mountain. I looked at my boyfriend, Bob, who was absolutely exquisitely beautiful. So was Susie. And then I looked at the water that was this shimmering blue with this beautiful white, just the most gorgeous waters. And next thing you know, I was literally out of my body and I was experiencing, I had my eyes closed and I was experiencing something I had never experienced. And I thought I was dying because I had heard that when you die, you begin to see your whole life. Mm-hmm. And so seeing my whole life, except I went, went beyond it. And I was literally in another, um, I was in space where I could see all these beautiful lights 
And I was literally experiencing all these things, just looking around, and I heard this voice, but not a voice. It was an inner message. Mm -hmm. And literally said, I did not put you on planet Earth for you to be a party girl. You have a job to do. Mm. And it was this amazing awakening of my heart. And I came back in and my heart hurt so much. I thought I was having a heart attack. I mean, I thought I was dying, really. Oh, my goodness. And I took a deep breath and I screamed on top of my lungs and Bob and Susie came running over. They had no idea. One moment I'm lying there getting a suntan. The next thing I'm screaming, crying and and just crying. And I, I couldn't talk. And I kept saying, I can't talk, you know, I mean, with, you know, making faces and they're wondering what was going on with me. And then pretty much everything was different. It was everything was different. They look more beautiful than ever. Everything looked more beautiful. But I, I literally had shifted and I had no words to express. I, I, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what happened. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the trip was so magical because that night we actually left. We were leaving and we were, um, I asked Bob if he would allow me with him sleeping right below that he could keep an eye on me or I could call him anything. If he would allow me to sail the yacht by myself, I had gotten really good at. And I did navigational um you know, sailing where mm-hmm. you follow a star towards, you know, Oahu. Mm-hmm. And I pretty much sailed on my own all night long until I woke him up in the morning. And I totally connected. And it was similar to the vision that I had had because I had been out in space. I was never the same again. And I pretty much changed completely. I moved away from Maui. I stopped hanging around with people that were just into drugs and alcohol. I never was that big into it. Mm-hmm. But enough mm-hmm. that was distracting me. Okay. And then just my whole life changed because I was looking for my job. And I would ask people that were older and religious people, I would say, do you know what it means to do the job? And they would say, <laughs> no. I said, oh, okay. Well, I was told that I had a job to do. And they go, well, I'm sure you'll discover one of these days. And I did. And <laughs> and pretty much the job was to 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 just follow my my footsteps and follow the, the guidance and to create what needed to be created. And the and seminars have churned out so many social entrepreneurs. Our programs have churned out more people, you know, so many, you know, Robert Kiyosaki, he was my business partner for nine years. We hung out for 17 years. The book Rich Dad, Poor Dad is based mm-hmm. on the new program. It yeah. teaches about color. Ah. We train. We trained Tony Robbins when he was 23 years old, and mm-hmm. I did his first big planning chart, visualization chart, that he was going to be famous. He didn't become famous until six years later. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Harv Ecker, mm-hmm. you know, studied mm-hmm. for seven years, and Jack Canfield did the program in 1979 with Mark Victor Hansen, and they mm-hmm. went on to do Chicken Soup for the Soul. But not that they got inspired, me and you, but they got inspired to go and find purpose so that's all you have to do. You don't have to do the whole work. You just have to do things that will manifest, inspire, create, and generate uh, something that will do good for humanity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. That is wise wisdom words. Thank you. I hope everybody really is taking that in because I know a lot of people do not want to work for someone else. They they want to be entrepreneurs. They want to create something original, um, something meaningful. And it's, you know, it it's not not necessarily an easy thing to do. It does take dedication and it does have to be something that you're passionate about, I think, in order for you to to stick with it. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I the, there's one thing that I wanted to touch on because I'm really I don't know anything about this the work with with solar that you're doing. Can you just tell us a little bit about that before we wrap up? Because I think we actually could have just wrapped up, but I did want to just touch on that. Well, basically, um, the originally one of our mentors, Buckminster Fuller, mm-hmm. he was the original 
if I, you want to call him, you know, a, a green activist. Yes, yes. He's talking about the environment back in the 30s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he called the world a spaceship Earth. And that, and, you know, once we hurt one part of the world, we hurt the whole world. It's like hurting your finger. Mm-hmm. You're going to hurt, you know, you infect the finger, you're going to infect the whole body. Mm-hmm. So we have always been, you know, very big proponents. I was a big anti-nuclear activist in the 80s, a big proponent of green technologies always. And about 10 years ago, one of my business partners met Wang Ming, and Wang Ming is one of the world's leading solo architect. Mm-hmm. And the only man, um, if you go to solovalleychina.com, mm-hmm. um, you can read all about him. But he's the only man in the in the world that has created a city uh, that powers all the city streets with solar. Mm-hmm. And uh, just let everyone heat their water with uh, solar energy. So it's a town of, I believe, over 5 million people. Oh, one my hour goodness. And- away from Beijing. He is a what we call a billionaire with heart. Hmm. And he was the man that passed the first green law in China and was trying to talk the Chinese government into becoming a green country way before, I mean, at, at the edge of almost being arrested and getting tortured the way that his mentors were. Mm. Believe me, the government of China was not into being green or working on the environment not until just recently. Mm-hmm. And so part of what happened was that he was the instigator of all of this. And now, of course, he's the darling and he is a national treasure in China because he and other people like him have been behind China because they knew that with the whole industrialization process, it was going to affect so many people negatively. Mm-hmm. So I met him 10 years ago and I became an ambassador for him. I am I connect them with some of the people that can, you know, accelerate this process. Mm-hmm. And we have been working on uh, solar cookers. When people go to solovalley.com, if they go uh, forward slash solar dash cookers, mm-hmm. uh, they will see, you know, all about the solar cookers that can take care of over 1 million women and children that die every year from smoke inhalation, from not oh, having the proper cooking mm-hmm. utensils. And so the biggest challenge of the planet right now is the environmental changes. Most people do not realize it. When you really get into it, there is nothing more pressing in the world right now than preventing the climate, um, the, uh, the effects that climate change is having. And the shift has already occurred. We're going to see it more and more every year, particularly in the East Coast of the United States. But now we saw it, you know, in the West Coast with all those fires. Mm -hmm. That is all Mm -hmm. related to climate change. Mm -hmm. So when you really begin to learn and stay ahead of the curve, so to speak, Mm -hmm. you begin to see what is it that really needs to be done. And, And for those of you who are interested in creating projects and services and products, that will create tremendous wealth for you, it is the place to look. Mm -hmm. Because um, Wang Ming never intended to be a billionaire. The Mm -hmm. only reason he became a billionaire is because his solo products were so popular. Mm -hmm. So if if what you're interested is money, but you can do it in something that will also support the betterment of humanity, great. And that's that's my whole thing, of course. If, If we are actually doing... Our business school for entrepreneurs now is based on new technologies, on, of course, renewables and contribution. So we're really niching it to to people that really want to have businesses in those three areas. Mm -hmm. And we're training more and more entrepreneurs. You will see five years from now, 10 years from now, that the whole many industries will be talking about that. The same thing with blockchain. Mm-hmm. And with the blockchain technology, which I have now become very involved with, mm-hmm. with an organization called NASCO, mm-hmm. because blockchain is going to be in uh, it's a blockchain is just a technology and it's really being applied to renewable energy funding and developing renewable energy organizations. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> so blockchain is a it's a way of the future that most people th- you know, only relate to 
Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, which right. that's the beginning of it, but that's it's so erroneous. So, hmm, so it's so much more than just that. So, we are really into creating a world that works for 100% of humanity by actually working on our survival. Uh, and there are so many business opportunities in solving climate change challenges. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And by the way, our economy is going through the roof in the United States right now. Uh, what most people don't understand is out of the disasters. So let's say that there's a disaster in Texas, which there was. Mm -hmm. Within six months to a year, that particular area will have tremendous job growth because now everything has to be rebuilt. So part of of what this this uh, administration is taking credit for is actually natural disasters that happen where you need to rebuild quite a bit. And that is, those are the kind of statistics that people who are very involved in solving world problems will have, but the general population has no idea. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to thank you on behalf of all of the listeners uh, for the work that you do and uh, and continue to do. And I think it's, it's truly amazing. I mean, just for one person, you have accomplished so much and you're helping others to accomplish so much. And I'm definitely grateful for that. Thank you. And thank you for putting the word out there and all that you have done, because you have done quite a bit. And thank you for doing this, as we say in Hawaii, kokua, kokua. the favor of kokua. Kokua is a favor. It's a good heart the kokua of putting on these podcasts and bringing information. Because for me, if I just kind of awaken a little part of, some of the listeners and encourage them to go for their higher purpose and, and to know that all the tools are there, you know, use me, work with me, come and learn from our organization. And I'll introduce you to the most magnificent people around the world and that can help you. Um, and then I can also introduce you to others that can also teach you more. That is, I'm a portal. I am a portal. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. People come into my universe and I open up a whole new world for them of entrepreneurial, transformational education that can help the whole world and themselves. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. Before we started the recording, we talked a little bit about Ho'oponopono, which I have found to be extremely, an extremely valuable tool. And uh, so I would like to have you come back on again to uh, share Ho'oponopono with us. Um, I did write about it a little bit in a blog newsletter, but uh, I'd like to have it expanded on. And, and I know you, it's something that you use quite a bit and that you're very knowledgeable about. Absolutely. I will love to talk about and how to use it around business mm -hmm. and money finances. It's uh, That is not what I learned from the woman that actually translated the prayer from the Hawaiian uh, folklore. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was always known that it could be used for that. But I think that I became a little bit of a showcase on, on how I don't know if I would have been this peaceful and this successful without Ho'oponopono. It's mm -hmm. one of the most beautiful practices. And I thank you for even invoking the word Ho'oponopono will, will help you right now. And I will be happy to come back. And oh, and I, I just want to make sure that people know that I do have um, oh, an online course to the Access to Cash program that can really accelerate. It's six and a half hours where it's my first major online program. I'm going to be doing many more. Mm -hmm. It's my way of beginning to create my succession plan ah. for me to pass along much of what I have learned on creating wealth and having access to cash. So it's a six and a half hour conversation that I'll happily share with them. Okay, that's awesome. Now I will put a link on the podcast website, but um, can you tell us uh, how they can access that? It's called moneyandyou.com forward slash online. Okay. And is that and like A-N-D, moneyandyou.com? Yes. Okay. Yes. Moneyandyou.com and then forward slash online? Online, yes. Okay. And that's where they can access the course? They can access the course and there's a cost for it because things 
definitely cost and mm-hmm. there's always an exchange that need to occur mm-hmm. uh, for your product and services. Okay. And that is something that I actually talk about that is very important. Unless you live in a community where the exchange is going to be services, mm-hmm. products that you actually exchange in that, we still live in a world where money is the means of exchange. And that's really important for people to understand. So it is right now is money, cryptocurrency. Um, it is those things that will access to you the things that you need to survive and to have a beautiful life. It, it might change in the future, but I think that sometimes people get a little bit confused with entrepreneurs like myself that are about doing good to humanity. They think that I have dropped completely, you know, the money aspect of it. Money is just a tool. And the more that we let go of the judgments that we have around money, the more that one understands and can create more and use more of that to do good. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. So there will be a a link on the podcast website um, for her course, which I have a feeling is quite good. Thank you so much and have a beautiful 2019. Oh, thank you. And same to you. I really, really appreciate your being on the podcast and I look forward to having another conversation. Aloha. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Doria Cordova, for taking time to share your extensive expertise with us. The podcast website is realjanine.com, where you can listen and download episodes. Oh, and I see my dog wants to eat. She's bugging me here. (laughs) Sign up for the podcast bi-weekly blog newsletter to keep up on new episodes, archives, life updates, and always a healthy recipe. And remember, Janine is J-A-N-E-A-N. To subscribe to Keeping It Real with Janine, go to iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. And I also have a Keeping It Real with Janine YouTube channel, and I'm creating video slideshows of all of my conversations. And please go to YouTube and subscribe. I would be very grateful. Do you know someone who would benefit from my conversation with Doria Cordova? I know you do. Please share the love. Thanks for listening. Take care and be well. Thank you.